This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Masters of the Air Part 5 is over, but here on Posher Recaps, we are just getting started. My name is Ariel, and I am joined, as always, by my co-pilot, it's Rich. What's up, Rich? What is up? I'm very glad to be here with you, uh, flying in the right seat, I guess. Yeah, we got our sheepskin, we're ready to go. (laughs) That's all that matters, is that we know which one of us is doing what. Yeah, right. As long as the navigator behind us knows what he's doing, we should be fine. Um... Yeah, part five. So now at this point, we are just over the the halfway point of the mm-hmm. nine episode total. So that's that's noteworthy. How did you uh, how did you feel about this episode coming out of it? Part five. It felt like a really a much more straightforward episode, right? We had a lot mm-hmm. more actual combat. We were in the air, but it felt like we were really dealing with a lot of the fallout that we discussed last time in terms of the uncertainty, right? The like off screen death of so many of our characters that I think we walked away from feeling a little unsatisfied. But it, it even more so now to be Ariel feels like such an intentional choice on the part of the authors to like mm-hmm. root us in the perspective of these pilots because because this is the experience that they had with the men around them you know um when you start like reading about the casualty rates like the air force they lost twenty six thousand uh casualties over the course of the war it's more than the marines it's more than like any other division of the american armed forces in world war ii um the like 
you know, we've heard it already in the episodes, but the rate of mission completion is less than 50% in the hundredth. And now in episode five, we see it. They, they fly 17 planes. One comes back. Um, and you and I have been pretty critical of like the lack of clarity on the kind of context of some of what's going on. But this is only two days after episode four. Um, Buck Egan's plane like drops out of the sky. We lose all those people off screen. That's October 8th, October 10th. Bucky Cleveland goes and flies this mission. Rosenthal is the only plane that makes it back. This is all historically accurate, right? Um, of the 17 planes, the four have to turn back. I know I'm yeah. like getting ahead of myself, but it just to me i've been doing a lot of homework outside and this was what's called black week it was a major shift in perspective from the american air force they flew missions every single day over the course of this week and the luftwaffe kicked our asses they they started to focus their strategy in a way that i don't think the episode articulates that the Luftwaffe in the beginning dealing with the B-17s had a really hard time because they would fly in this really tight formation. We've talked about it on the show, but just the layout of the machine guns is such that when you get three of those planes tucked in tight with each other, they have this incredible field of fire around them and it makes it really hard for the fighters to approach and knock them out of the sky. But we, we see it in this episode. They've, they would hunt like predators on the Serengeti. They look for the stragglers. As soon as an engine drops Crazy. and you can't keep pace, they would focus. And during this period of black week, the Americans are sending missions every day. Then the Luftwaffe have figured out we need to isolate individual bombing groups and we need to create such catastrophic casualties on each of those divisions that it shatters american morale and it worked really effectively you know <sighs> as you're dealing with like one plane coming home like there's stories ariel of these guys these replacements showing up getting sent to the hundredth and it's written in like their journals that we're looking at now 80 years later they just go back to their bunks and write i'm done there's absolutely no way of making it out of this war they have put me in the bloody hundredth i'm gonna die here Right. Yeah. Um, and, and there's just such a lack of clarity. These planes get knocked out of the sky. Like we saw it in Band of Brothers, the Pacific. These guys are on the ground. They're trapped in the fight constantly. But when they lose each other, there's a body. Right. There's clarity. Yeah. It's very clear what has happened where these pilots like you have no idea. I think there was some crazy number too, like. 35,000 Air Force soldiers, this one I'm a little off on, end up prisoners of war by wow. the end. So, so just the uncertainty, it, it like paid itself forward from episode four. I'm off on a lot of tangents, but I just wanted to like talk about some of the context that I gave myself going into this episode that made it really satisfying for me to watch at least. No, I, I so appreciate it. And just overall, like for the record, I, I feel so lucky to get to listen to you provide all this extra context because it really is and we've talked about it before unfortunately you know this is some of the stuff that we're missing that we've seen these same or a lot of these same uh you know showrunners in a sense and like air quotes give us before and it just feels like some of this concrete information is what's missing i think mm -hmm. they would argue and i'm sure they had conversations about it i don't think like i'm saying or you're saying something that they didn't think about in the room they were probably like 
you know, we have to, we have to strike the balance and we don't want to give them too much information, but like just provide the information and people will engage as much or as little as they want. I think like, mm -hmm. that's just how it should be. But hearing you give all this information really has helped me not just care so much more about some of these things, but like really understand the magnitude of these things. Like the, like the whole thing last week with the bloody hundredth and how that's, that's not really a thing that they have discussed. And I, I understand that that's kind of more of like a historical looking backwards thing, but like, it's such a big piece of it. And I remember, I, I remember watching this episode so vividly thinking about that. And like, anytime they mention the hundredth, I'm like, Oh my God, the bloody hundredth. Like it's an ex it's an extra layer that, that gives you both factual groundedness and emotional groundedness, which I think the show is, is, is in need of. It is, you know, I mean, I think that um, when they talk about, I, I listen to a bunch of Orloff, who's the one, the main writer that we have here for Masters of the Air, mm -hmm. who's very relevant in Band of Brothers. And he talks about the adaptations not as clean narratively mm -hmm. as they had with the Pacific or Band of Brothers. The Pacific, right. they're dealing with three separate books, but they're very narrative through lines of those characters, of Lackey and Sledge especially, right? And there was a lot to draw on. Right. So this, the book that they're adapting here, Masters of the Air, it is less narratively focused right it is more like an accounting of the missions than, than the previous texts were so it's interesting to see the way like some of that's missing in the adaptation but i found it really pointed that like all of this is happening in a very compressed week like we hear it in some of the dialogue in the episode we've flown three missions in three days aren't they supposed to rotate us like yeah there's nobody left to rotate it and out. yeah right? like with who who are we gonna, who are they yeah. gonna rotate and again in? like this shift in tactics from the luftwaffe was really profound because they started to identify that when dealing with these b-17 formations they couldn't uh, attack in their traditional attack patterns normally they would come in from behind on these planes because they have such better acceleration they can like overtake you but they realized that there was like much better effective rate of lethality when they attack from the front the cockpit of the plane is like super vulnerable right um just like going back in some of the research i got that like bucky cleveland flying down to north africa the whole nose of his plane was blown out ariel yeah. i can't believe that they like they they minimized it on the show almost yeah. but that whole glass dome with your nose gunner was gone and they flew the length of the alps with like the plane really ripped apart so once the Luftwaffe like dialed it in, this was a devastating week for the American Air Forces and especially the 100th. This one mission, this character that we meet this episode, Rosie Rosenthal, he's a really interesting guy. I'll have more to say, but um, this is where they get the name, the bloody 100th. They fly 17 planes, three drop out, four drop out mechanically. One comes home and it's Rosie yeah. Rosenthal's first mission. And it's profound, you know, I think the weight of that and the weight of those men waiting back at the base, I, I feel it, you know. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think what I can say overall about the episode to its credit is that like it definitely felt uh, and you I think you said something similar felt like a return to form a return to like, OK, this doesn't feel as disjointed or mismatch mis mis mismatched and mishmash of <laughs> the two things that I was confusing. Um as the previous episode and like i even had that theory of like was there something that they cut out and like it just feels like i don't know a point in time where they were trying to get past so that they mm -hmm. could get to this mm -hmm. and you know in that sense it worked but um i 
you know, there was, there's so many, there are a couple, a handful, not even a couple, a handful, probably all a full handful, maybe five things about the episode that I was really struck by. I felt like the music overall, I don't know if it was just that I was noticing it more. It felt elevated. It felt more pointed. I mean, some would say it manipulative, but I think to a successful degree, like there was just something about the way it was utilized in some of these very dramatic or sad or horrific moments that I was like, yes, yes, give me more of this. This is what I need. Like, this feels grand. This is what makes these moments feel larger than life, feel like you are there with them to whatever degree that's what people are feeling. Um, so I definitely, I definitely was overall kind of pleasantly surprised uh, because I was, I had kind of braced myself to be disappointed again the way I had been by the fourth bar. I I get it, you know. I mean, again, I think it's intentional, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was effective, right? right, right. I think it's that's feels, true. That's true. It, it feels pretty jarring to just like lose these guys off screen, are really prominent characters. And I think again, the challenge of like we have a new character this week in Rosie Rosenthal, who I yeah. I think is like pretty important. I don't want to like offer any spoilers as to the context of the story, but certainly historically, mm -hmm. he's somebody that gets talked about a lot around okay. the hundredth. And so it's hard, right? We're making this transition. And I think, you know, we note the nine episode runtime. Band of Brothers in the Pacific both got 10. So we're losing like, a, you know, a little bit of runway here. Um, pun intended, I guess, that I think like, <laughs> that I think like matters. First that. of all, how dare you? I know. I know. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, yeah. um, but yes, to that point, yes. And I love, I love, I believe you share that in the Discord, if I'm remembering correctly, the thing about the 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 front of the plane the yes. nose being completely off and that you know that already harrowing trip to africa like the fact that they felt like okay let's not make it too crazy we need to like pull back a little i mean it's and, one of those things of like truth is stranger than fiction almost right like you sure. can imagine them saying no we can't do that nobody will believe it right, right. <laughs> We took six twenty. What if one of the movies? wings just falls off? Would it be I believable? Right. I mean, that's a whole other thing about these B-17s. Like, you know, when we look at them compared to a 747, they're not that imposing. But they were gigantic at the time. They had a 100-foot wingspan. When these guys keep talking about them being rugged and you see them coming back with these holes blasted in the sides, it's because the wing was so stable. It created what they call a really stable platform for the bombing, you know? And they could get blown to hell i mean they could get blasted apart as long as the frame of the yeah. plane held together and the wing was maintained you could mostly fly it right that's yeah. where it's like pretty remarkable that they keep losing these engines but they're so heavy that you like lose speed immediately right mm -hmm. um, there's so much coordination involved just flying them tight in formations impossible and then when they talk about these guys being exceptional pilots this is what they're talking about right uh, yeah. buck egan like gets that reputation because this guy flies 2,000 miles with the hole in the front of the plane, with the whole nose of the plane missing, right? After taking six 20 millimeter artillery shells. And like, those are pretty big, you know? Um, yeah. It's it's a lot to take in, you know? The idea that, that it literally happened that way in the sense of they could hear, the crewman in the back could hear the captain say in the front of the plane like we're gonna take it we're gonna take so they have they have like an oh intercom system on the right, plane right right 
right? Because there's like the radios, like you notice they're not radioing to one another across. The radio systems are not as like sophisticated as they have now. And you'd have all this cross talk. Plus you get the Germans listening to everything, right? So you can't True. like be giving out all your information over the yeah. airwaves. Once they're up, they're kind of static. That's yeah. why they're using those crazy flare guns to yeah. orient themselves and stuff, right? right. But there is an intercom in the plane. And so that beat of Buck saying, because because Buck is the the was the battalion commander. I'm I'm misnomering it, but he was in charge of that entire mission. Mm-hmm. The guy next to him was the pilot of the plane. Yeah. So, so technically, the pilot of the plane can like make the call to right. jump. He's in charge of the plane. Yeah. Yep. And they they you know in the recountings of the men on that plane, they all verify it. And I mean, look, tales get taller in the telling, certainly. Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with like heroic deeds like this, you can imagine them being kind of inflated in retrospect yeah. but but to a man they, they all swear that the intercom was open and the pilot's like we got a bail and actually hits the bailout button and buck shuts it off and says we're not going anywhere we're gonna sit here we're gonna take it and that the rest of the men in the plane while it was terrifying for them that they weren't gonna bail out that it like steeled them of like okay we got a job to do right like the commander's on the ship he's focused we gotta like hold it up and it's this thing that's the same as band of brothers ariel like i think part of the the thesis of this episode is how do they keep getting back in the plane right Uh, we see that beat of the guy like i'm not doing it i'm not doing it (laughs) after they (laughs) when he said that i was like yeah me neither i don't want to do this it was a pretty significant problem right like the air force had more psychological medical withdrawals than other elements because of this strain but this question how did they keep getting back in the plane because they do know Less than 50% of the missions are successful. They know they're never going to make it to 25, but they keep getting back in and they do it because of the other nine guys in the plane, right? It's again, like not that they thought they were heroes, not that they needed to go like free, you know, the, the oppressed peoples or the conquered lands in Europe. They had to like hold up for the guys in the plane with them, right? They had to do their job to keep their buddy alive. And so they did it day after day, you know, and that part of it, I think like, rings true and, and plays out you know incredible yeah it's funny you mentioned better brothers because as soon as you said like the the tall tales and the what people repeat and remember i was just like oh shades of spears from uh yeah. from band of brothers yeah um but speaking of people who survived we ended last episode by being very confused both by what had actually happened and the choices that were made in the retelling of what had happened but Thankfully, we actually got some good news this episode. Not that Bucky cares because he's, you know, obviously grieving his very good friend. Uh, Our boy, Kraz. My heart. This is the part. I mean, I had already said that, that, uh, you know, Kraz, his relationship with his friend was like the real pairing for me that, that I had kind of discovered this season. And for Cross to die off camera, I was like, no, no, no. My heart can't take this. I don't know. And then thankfully, because again, part of my other, uh, you know, girding my loins, so to speak, of this episode was like, I don't know if they got rid of Cross. I don't know what the show expects me to do. Like, this is going to be really hard for me to stay anchored. And poor Cross. not that he didn't, you know, not that him and everybody else who was on his, uh, who was on his plane didn't suffer 
but this is this is a very very welcome piece of news certainly for the other men but i think for for the viewers as well Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think Crosby has been such an awesome emotional character for me to hook into. He hits me like Sledge, where he was a little underwhelming at first. Yeah. He's got that, like, uh, you know, like l- less heroic perspective, right? It's really relatable in terms of the fear and the anxiety and, like, not quite fitting in. You you can empathize with him more than you can a, a Buck Clevens or a Bucky Egan, right? These guys are like, they're such studs ariel they're so like mm-hmm. so larger than life they've got such swagger it's easy to feel like disconnected from them right um and so the crosby promotion is a big deal crosby's a really relevant player in the hundredth right and this this marks like a really important transition for him in his career and he wrote uh, i believe in like 1993 a biography of his experience and talks Uh, emphatically about this notion that he emphasizes in this episode that it becomes agonizing for him because he's got to now plot the course for the entire group and then he's got to sit there and wait and so every single now it's not just about the nine other guys on him playing with Crosby it's all 17 planes right and and the weight of that responsibility becomes like pretty overwhelming for the guy but that beat of him getting the letter from his friend at the end oh my god Ariel like like it crushed me. It what it like an effective turnaround. Just the whole goodbye that he has of like, oh yeah, like they, they don't even say goodbye. You know, I think it like executes oh, yeah. so well on all of the like emotional resonance that we're talking about here. Yeah. The actual impact on these men, you know. No, for sure. I mean, to, to to jump ahead to that just briefly, like I think it's such an effective subversion of what you're expecting, and like. He had already said to Cross, like, oh, my God, I wrote to your wife. And Cross is like, wait, did you send the letter? And Cross is like, no, 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 I didn't send the letter. It's like, oh, my God, thank God. Because that because like even if you send the letter right after, there's like there's going to be a period of time where she thinks that Cross is dead. And that's horrible, Um, even though obviously the intentions were good. And then for like him to be able to read the letter and find the letter to your point, they didn't really get a goodbye. And this is like you know, messages from the beyond, basically from his friend, his friend, who was like a member of his family, who his wife like said hello to in a previous letter in the margins. Like this is like someone who is his brother, whether blood related or not. And that moment killed me. That is probably my favorite moment in the entire, at least like emotionally, um, my favorite moment in the series so far, probably I can't think of one that like hit me harder. It's just so beautiful. I was immediately in tears. I was surprised no one. And the effectiveness of hearing the words in the voice. And then he can't even finish the letter. I mean, the letter was unfinished. So there's like a world in which that was all that was written, but like, it's so beautiful and it makes It stands, honestly, I hate to keep bringing this up, but it just stands in such stark contrast to the ending of last episode where it just felt like so empty. And it was like, look, this is how you do it. You guys do know how to do it. I'm so glad. No, I'm with you. You know, I think it's like the most emotionally effective gut punch they've created because who can't? 
connect with that on some level. A eulogy written about you by your best friend to your partner after your best friend has died. And you don't get to say goodbye. Like the layers of emotional complexity there. Oh, my God. Especially for a guy like Crosby, who has a lot of doubt. Right. He does not believe in himself the way that the rest of the men around him believe. Something that I think is so interesting about Crosby's story, Ariel, is they are articulating this thing that I think is so impossible to like kind of visualize or demonstrate. It's something that like I relate to, but I've not seen depicted in this way so effectively it's imposter syndrome right where he's like i'm full of bullshit like i'm barely keeping my 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 breakfast down on the plane i'm like getting lucky with these navigational courses Uh and now they're all like picking me up on the chair and celebrating me around the room that i got us all home alive Mm -hmm. right and like that cognitive dissonance that like i don't believe in myself but everybody else believes in me and it's like elevating me and now you're the guy in the chair. You got the job. That's terrifying, right? Yeah. And so to get like this kind of posthumous attaboy from yeah. your best friend, uh, like it's it's just layers again on top of all of the actual just grief that we can like completely understand, right? Like it's really powerful and very resonant. And again, like I keep defending it because I think it's really intentional. Like I think we're supposed to walk away from episode four really frustrated and like ah, like mission, pulling our hair out. Mission effing accomplished. Because it, again, like I think what they lose in the lack of title cards is like this is two days later, man. Like, like Bucky is still like nursing that hangover when he's like <laughs> back into yeah. his plane to fly. Like, so, so all this stuff is happening very quickly in a really compressed period of time. And then, you know, the other beat of like Crosby to the letter back to that, him packing up all of his friends stuff. Yeah. Right. And, and when you do that interrogation, they're all sitting there like non-confirmed. They don't know what happened. They don't know what happened, but they know what happened to his plane. It exploded. And he shoots like, did you hear me? I said it exploded. So like, yeah. that's, that's like cuts both ways that you don't have the uncertainty. He knows, okay, I got to go pack his stuff up. He's done. He's not going to come walking in three days later. Like I did for him and surprise me. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, this is like uh, Crosby surviving is like is the one uh, respite that we get as the view audience. Like everyone else has perished and will continue to perish, unfortunately. And this is like this is the kindness that the universe and the show has given us. And like, you know, there's a way in which like Crosby almost realizes that himself. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No you mentioned Bucky. He's he's not doing great. To your <laughs> point, it would have been really, really helpful to know the time. To, but like, and they do they do within their dialogue kind of address it. But again, I just think. It's a little too subtle for my taste, but I do love a drunk Bucky, you know, getting out of the plane. Uh, we have Lemons, who we love, of course, and is so good at his job, checking in on Bucky. Clearly, he's concerned. He's trying to give him, you know, the kindness. Uh, he's trying to show him kindness, rather, and he's like, you know, we're all going to miss uh major i just call him buck i don't i don't remember his last name egan i think it's i egan. get him mixed up all the time buck is clevin clevin i'm like clevin. egan is from severance uh clevin thank you buck clevin and bucky buck clevin. egan thank and you. i yes. keep getting I them just, incorrect i apologize i just yeah. know so i mean i'm accurate but i only i only accurate to the nicknames uh we're all gonna miss buck and 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 bucky's like yeah whatever i don't talk about it uh i'm gonna go home and he's like see you in the morning but it's like the sun is already out. It's crazy. This man should not be driving at all. I know. You really feel that like crazy. He gets in that Jeep, man. And I mean, this was a thing. We saw it at Band of Brothers after the war, yeah. right? Of like oh, the car. God, yes. It is scary, dude. Yeah. But I think, again, it's articulating this notion that we've talked about before of the yo-yo these guys were on, right? I mean, Easy Company is like, they're sitting in their foxholes in Bastogne, like just mired in it until it's over. Yeah. These guys, at four o'clock in the morning, they're tucked up asleep <laughs> in a bed, warm as can be at eight o'clock in the morning they're flying over like munich germany dropping bombs and then at eight o'clock that night they're in the pub dancing you know yeah. and that's like just such an emotional roller coaster to be on right and the way that they have to unpack that but the effect on bucky i mean this tracks this is all like historically accurate yeah. he makes the call he, he's toxin code he gets word put me in coach see you tomorrow and he races back to the base and is like dude i want to fly tomorrow you know yeah. and they send him out on the 10th in this like disastrous mission you know and and to the changing of the code even these little beats here like some of the interviews I'm hearing about, they keep talking about how like you never saw Bucky Egan without his white sheepskin coat, like that coat that wow. he trades. Yeah. But, but they started getting crazy superstitious. You know, yeah. we go back to like the goblin riddle and forget the actual context of it all. The, the superstitions, the, like the the like the tokens, you know, of Kraz yeah. giving bubbles the the little snow globe or whatever yeah. it is. That idea that like I'm getting put in the hundred 
earth. We're going to die. It weighed on these guys a lot, dude. Yeah. The notion of like, which plane am I flying? I'm not going in my plane. What do you mean? Like all this stuff to the extent that he's got to like change his coat because right. Bucky didn't, Buck didn't like this coat. Like, Buck hated that effing coat. And I'm like, <laughs> that's actually kind of sweet. You're like, I don't want to wear this anymore. Because there's a way in which like, he clearly, when Buck was alive, there was like a defiant level to Bucky where he's just like, yeah, who cares? I'm glad you don't like it. You don't have to like everything that I do. And now yeah. it's like, he has to look for ways to honor him because his death was just so unthinkable and so quickly and off camera. Uh, he's like, I want to just... You know, I want to honor my friend. Um, they get their mission, you know, as we get into, we start to get into like the third act of the episode, which is really the mission. Um, the instruction, you know, it's a lot of like vague instruction. At this point, I'm feeling like, oh God, another mission. And I think that to that, to this point, and in that way, the show is successful because it just feels like another thing that we're uh -huh. sitting in on that we're like learning all this information and there's a way in which just like some of it is going over our heads some of it is going over their heads this the the them on the ground they're ready to get on these planes and not to say that they're not focusing or irresponsible but just to your point they've been doing this so much especially recently that it's like okay where are we going now and which place and what do we have to look for okay a train station just focus on the train seat or like a, it's really more of like a train terminal uh bad bad german things happen in the terminal so we have to bomb it and then like it's like, okay, we're going and we're all tired. Uh, and that's when, Buck, you know, Bucky exchanges the code right beforehand. Um, and we're off. There was a way in which, like, this liftoff was so uh, emotional. It was almost like, I'm trying to put it into words now, it's almost like miraculous, it felt like, in yeah. the moment. Yeah. And this is where the music really started to hit me. Like, there I'm was so, so much that you. the music yeah. did post lift uh takeoff excuse me lift off it's not a freaking rocket uh post uh, takeoff so many little moments that i'm gonna list out in a little bit as we get to them but like this moment here of like and i couldn't help but think again like wow this is this could have been the ending to the fourth episode but all the emotion it's almost more worth it to have it here because of everything that they have now all been through and all the losses that they have experienced this means something and i was like holy crap like who did, did they hire a different like music person to do this um and of course like you said crosby has to like remain on the ground you know shades of uh of winters when he gets promoted at some point he's like he can no longer be with the people he has to stand back and like direct and it's uh it's torture for him for sure yeah, it's really wild. I mean, Bucky is almost like the anti-Winters in that he tries to like shirk <laughs> off his promotion and get back in the plane in the beginning, you know? Um, I'm so with you. When you were talking about the score at the beginning as we sat down here, I, I was very much thinking of these scenes of the liftoff, of the takeoff. It really is so inspiring, Ariel. Yeah. And I think that, again, like we're getting a little inundated now after five hours of, of Masters of the Air. Some of this stuff is becoming rote to us. Yes. But every little bit of this was such a gigantic production 
you know, when we rewind, I don't mean to keep going backwards, but to that mission where they got to fly down to Africa. And remember, there were supposed to be three groups and the other groups weren't there. And how come we're not coordinated? They would talk about like, again, in in some of my homework, these planes are loaded down with thousands of pounds of bombs, ammunition, the men, fuel. The plane is always the heaviest at the moment that it's going to take off, right? As Mm. soon as you start flying, you're burning fuel out of the wings, you're dropping weight, you're you're like increasing your fuel efficiency the further you're flying almost, which is fascinating. Mm. But it would take them sometimes two hours just to reach altitude to approach their targets. And in these musterings, I mean, like this episode, you know, it's a smaller group. They've only got 17. They had started with a group of 35. But when we're coordinating these groups, there's hundreds of planes. It would take them hours to get in the air and in formation, just locked in together. And, And the Americans, again, because we love these daytime bombing runs, they loved bad weather. These beautiful days, like we see here on October the 10th it's an effing disaster uh one of the things that's like written again and again and again in the book masters of air there are no foxholes at thirty thousand feet there's just nowhere to hide there is no safe place on that plane right um as much as like the luftwaffe started to identify these frontal attacks being like nightmarishly devastating and they are right you know, the, the plane is like a death chamber, man, and there's just nowhere to hide from them. So, yeah, the liftoff was like huge and felt very epic and heroic and inspirational. And just to talk about the other little beat here with Bucky in the like pre-mission, they're sitting in the room and we have somebody beginning to question, wait, who are we dropping these bombs on? We're, <laughs> we're dropping it on a neighborhood around the train station. Yes. There's a church right there. It's Sunday mm-hmm. morning. We're going to be flying at 10 o'clock. Everybody's coming out of the church. And this was part of, um, it was a big thing with the RAF, right? The, the Hitler had promised the Germans, we will devastate Europe. They will never bomb us. They're they're never going to come to Germany. And there was a little bit of like a gentleman's agreement where they were very focused on military targets through the early bombing campaigns. But there's a point where I believe a Luftwaffe flight gets lost. They get misoriented and they end up bombing the hell out of this British city. And Churchill's like, "Uh uh-uh. And that begins this onslaught from the british that is still talked about like uh controversially today in terms of the loss of human life and like civilian populations being devastated but it comes to the reality of what we're talking about here which is that you're dropping bombs for forty thousand feet like as accurate as that bomb site is you know you're in flak you're dealing with like with other dogfighters like it's a bit of a disaster and a lot of civilians were killed through the bombing campaign and there was a strong strong belief from america that this was not going to win the war but it was going to truncate the amount of time we had to fight right that you could like break the german supply lines we don't Um, don't want to be the british and be be at this four years from now let's let's end this it's true but i mean Uh, then you come to this period this black week this 10-day run and the luftwaffe gets a definitive advantage i mean they really f us up here and it won't be until like the beginning of the next year as we roll into like 44 that we start to to like get ourselves together and the mustangs get over there but um bucky's response to this guy who is raising these issues of like Mm -hmm. look dude it's war you know Mm -hmm. it's better them than every guy that you know and that's the reality of it right at the end of the day it came down to this very us or them thing but i think that 
at this point in the campaign, a lot of the pilots, a lot of the soldiers the, in, the, in these bombers were starting to really look at what they were doing and yeah. question what they were doing and the morality of it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love that us or them thing uh, that you're mentioning because it's that's something that all three of these ministers have in common, right? And obviously, mm -hmm. you can extrapolate that out further just to war in general. That's kind of at some point that's what it comes down to, and it be it starts for the people on the ground or uh, in the air or what have you, the people who are like doing the fighting themselves. At some point, all the you know rhetoric it kind of goes out the window and it's mm -hmm. just like i'm the one that's here and the people who are making these decisions couldn't be any further away so we have to find our own reasons for for doing things um this this nightmarish uh attack that comes upon them this moment where the music just stops this is again one of those moments where i like it like took my breath away the music stops and you just see like the the i don't know what they're called uh not vapor trails like engine trails smoke trails from i the think plane. they call them contrails is right. the technical <laughs> term <laughs> chemtrails to some people <laughs> uh the way that they're just you see this thing distantly in the sky from the perspective of one of our ships uh one of our planes and then you see them coming down and the music stops and you're like wait is that what i think it is because it looks so peaceful in a way and so not harmful and then once you realize what's actually happening and then the music changes i just thought it was so perfectly executed the like the the calm before the storm right like the calm before the awful horrific carnage that was about to come and like clearly their tactic tactics had, had changed like you keep referring to which i think is fascinating i think at some point they realized they're always bombing in the daylight maybe we should do something about that and like change the way we because we can see them always anyway uh that moment there's another moment where like they do this slow motion activation between the planes. Yeah, that was a great shot. Yes. I was like, this is incredible. This is so, like, it feels insensitive or disrespectful almost to say that it looks cool, but it just fe no. it felt so grand. And it felt like this is the kind of stuff that, that I was hoping the show would give us. And I'm so happy to, to watch it now, like, earn it in a way in this episode. I'm like hyper cognizant of like, I come on here and I get really excited to talk about this stuff. I mean, like I'm a kid that grew up playing with GI Joe's Ariel, you know, like we're boys, that ball turret right. is cool. It's just cool. <laughs> it's a cool thing, man. It's cool. But yeah. I mean, the practical of of what we're talking about, like grounds us out a little bit, but that's a stunning shot. Like the, the B-17s yeah. at speed were somewhere around 200 miles an hour. They could get going faster, but that's like roughly their like cruising speed. Uh, uh, those were those, Focke-Wolf 190s that okay. I was talking about a couple of weeks ago that are really starting to like devastate us. Mm -hmm. And so again, just to talk about like that moment, these are like jet levels of speed. Like you're talking about a 600 mile per hour passing speed, right? And the way that they slow it down to give us that shot of Rosenthal <sighs> making eye contact with the other pilot. Yeah. It's just like one of those few moments because the reality is like 
they could do they could see that you know they could see these other pilots right. ripping past the cockpits and stuff there's a couple of crazy stories i'll get to as we get further but um it's it's fascinating and it is look man dog fights are cool right like some yeah. of this stuff is cool there's a reason that like it makes it as a dramatic television show yeah um alongside all of like the weight of the actual history right and the loss of human life we're not trying to like ignore that and just no, uh, to put like an asterisk on like some of what i'm talking about there part of the thing with the americans and why we were so fixated on these daytime bombing runs is because we were really obsessed with strategic targets right. i don't want to like whitewash uh the u.s's role right. or like the number of casualties that we've incited but from command there mm -hmm. was a very intentional no we are not going to focus on civilian centers we're looking for like military strategically important sites right yeah. i mean ultimately we bombed a lot of houses we bombed a lot of residential places because like yeah. it was messy you know this yeah. was not like as easy as anybody really thought it was you know? no 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 uh european architecture would like a word oh um as we get <laughs> as, as we get into the the last few beats here this is when i mean this is what we've been talking about the whole time like we watch these planes and there is a way again to the show's credit we've seen we've seen so it feels certainly like we've seen so many battles at this point mm -hmm. that to watch and we've seen a lot of people go down a lot of people you know both not have time to get out of their planes yes have time to parachute off their planes this we get a little bit of both but like the monumental loss of the aircraft just feels it's insane. You're, and then we get the one plane. They're like, does anybody see any other plane from the hundredth? Is there anybody else around us? It's crazy. And that's right around the same time that we, and this is like another, this is really the last one. Cause we already talked about Crosby with the letter at the very end of the episode, the last moment that I was like, holy crap, this is incredible. Just like the huge floating pieces of debris that are oh, now God. falling all around the sky. And I remember the first at the first moment, I'm like, what is that? And then I'm like, oh, shit. And then there's just so much of it. And they're trying to find it has basically become like a graveyard in the sky. And they are trying to look for signs of life. They're trying to see if people have parachuted out of their planes. They're trying to see if if anyone has survived. And it's like, no, it seems like it might just be us. And like, that's that feels so different from what we've seen before it just yeah it, it, it's it's a completely different reality uh to invoke the words of like one of our favorite co-hosts and grace leader like let the show tell you how to watch it you yeah. know and to a degree we've become proficient in like understanding a little bit more of what's going on in the air right that like oh, lull in the storm where like rosie starts humming you know after the like fighters mm -hmm. come in and there's that little bit of a gap and like because it was almost like i don't know if you're battlestar galactica fan but Absolutely. like that episode one like 33 like th they would make passes these oh, fockwolves would come in and it would take four minutes Minutes I just got them chills. To I just around got to come yeah. back again. So there's this perpetual up and down, up and down of like, here they come. Okay, 800 yards, open up, right? Mm -hmm. And and the weight of understanding that scene of the debris falling everywhere. I mean, it's like staggering. And again, yeah. like we just are introduced to him this episode. We're gonna track his story as far as it goes through Masters of Air. But Rosie Rosenthal is the sole survivor, the pilot of this last plane that yeah. makes it back. He this is his first mission 
Um, he's a really fascinating character. He's a Jewish kid from New York. He was a mm. lawyer, had just gotten his degree and wow. started his first day at like a brand new job at like a prestigious New York law firm. Pearl Harbor happens. He's a Pearl Harbor Monday guy. He goes and signs up immediately. Mm. Um, and he would go on to write highly detailed accountings of every single mission that he participated in. Wow. So he has become like an incredible resource of history for us to go back to because of like the chaos and the lack of clarity. So many of these guys had, there was just the records were only so good, even despite the kind of formal interrogations that we've seen. Yeah. So Rosenthal made it his mission to remember. That's the, so that's also so fascinating you know uh i don't know it's heavy to me and it really like he he's like looked back on we'll talk about him a lot as we go forward more right. but like he notoriously gets off this first flight and is like are they are they all like that like are they all that rough you know and the it's fact so, that he makes yeah. the effort it makes a difference i think you know? no it absolutely makes a difference and it's so uh, it's so beautiful to to learn that part of it of like how good he gets at it because it makes so much sense that his first mission, they all sit down at the end of the episode and they're like, what about this plane? No record. What about that plane? No record. And he's he's probably sitting there thinking, like, how could it be like this? Like, how? And it's literally, like, probably the worst day of losses or part of a string of the worst day of losses that they, ever had, that they had ever had. So, obviously, you know, the circumstances are a little bit different. But the fact that that would instead of send him in some negative direction empowers him to be the change and be the one in a way that like we saw Crosby really fight to be early yes. on when he was yep. like, no, it's important. When did they go down? So like we see that, that uh, Rosenthal is a Crosby like person in that sense that he cares about these important things and cares uh, about these people. And that's a good sign. I love it, you know, because sure. Buck and Bucky as our leaders in the beginning, these were guys who signed up like before Pearl Harbor, right? right Again, right, they right. were like heroes as, as the dudes are showing up already. They already yes. have this like gigantic reputation. And so now we get to meet Rosenthal, see him on his first flight and track it. There's a great letter was written by a guy, uh, de Blasio was his tail gunner in the plane that day. Okay. And it was published posthumously that he had like kind of sent to Rosenthal and Rosenthal like sends it to the Air and Space Museum after de Blasio passed is in like 2001 and he talks about that experience you know about like watching the other planes falling out of the air the yeah. moments the like four minutes that they have waiting for the fox wolves to circle around the like rosy maneuvering again like these they were locked in formation and these dudes were terrified of flak because when the flak's going off there was nothing they could do you no, got nine yeah. guys in the plane who have no control they right. would say th that we talked about it last time but that beat of like you're flak happy no you're flak happy uh, <laughs> Flack you don't happy. tell me if I'm your flack happy. Flack happy apparently, Ariel, is like a term that they applied to PTSD, right? Uh, like they, that they didn't have the language for. Wow. It's a thing we talked about. And some of these guys would get so crazed, they just would start shooting their machine guns at the flack in the air yeah. because, like, they had to do something. Right? They could it's, at least do so something, much powerlessness right? that you that your body and your brain will like accept. Yeah. So I just think like you go into that beat and you watch Rosenthal maneuvering these planes, this big hulking B seventeen that is like uh just a slug getting chased around i'm thinking of like uh headless chickens and sleek weasels for right, any survivor right. gabon fans <laughs> out there but like you know they're so outmaneuvered and rosenthal like very succinctly keeps these guys alive right yeah. uh through like his maneuvering just being a goddamn good pilot yeah. and they land and de blasio writes in his letter i don't 
I don't remember a lot of it. My memory is taking hits. He says, it's been seven years since I've had a flashback. Maybe they're gone for good now. But I remember stepping off that plane and just vomiting until like I couldn't move anymore. And you like helping me get on the truck to go to interrogation. Like, you know, the reflection of these moments, like just to circle it back. We've seen a lot of dog fights. We've seen a lot of bombing runs and missions at this point, right. but I feel this one Ariel. Yeah. And I feel like all our frustrations around episode four, I have some of them, if not alleviated, at least like articulated to a degree that I'm satisfied with. For sure. Like episode five made episode four better. Um, and that yeah, makes me for sure. away from it. You know? And in a way, like almost, like any good uh, any good follow up season or follow up episode like makes it not just better in retrospect uh in some ways like oh god that's that shouldn't have been that bad but like also it makes it more important like it makes it feel like a more important necessary step even if the execution could have been a little bit different um and then you know we get the crazy moment where it's just the one ship, like we keep saying, uh, the one plane coming down. They get a plane that isn't even part of the 100th coming down, mm-hmm. and there's like a false like alarm as far as like them being a survivor. And then ultimately at the end of the episode, we get the beautiful, beautiful, heartbreaking, lovely moment of uh, basically, like you put it, Crosby reading his own his own obituary, and that's that's where the episode ends um anything else you want to say about the, the episode not really i think this was a really good one i really liked it you know i started by yeah. saying like it seemed pretty straightforward and i think it was but i think like it's executing on all the setup that the first four episodes built for us so i come away from five really liking it and really eager to see what six looks like we should be so lucky what a time what a time i can't believe we've landed back here again we're always landing in a different place now we find ourselves in a different, in another other different place that actually has cold beer, unlike the false promise that they had when they landed in North Africa. Yeah, really. Um, look at us. Look at so us. So yeah, well, we'll be back. Yes, look at us, and you'll be back looking at us uh, next week when we return for part six for the final four. Oh my God, fire making final four episodes of Masters of the Air. Uh, Rich, until then, what else have you got going on? Uh, you can hit me up twitch.tv slash DM Philly. I promise I'll be doing some stuff over there again soon. Uh, the YouTube VODs for all my old D&D games are there. I'm talking about Halo Season 2 with the great Corey B. So that's happening around here. And then I uh, guess go give me a follow on Twitter at DM Philly. Uh, keep up with what I got going on out there. You better do all of that. Yeah. Um, I am on Twitter at that other Ariel. I'm covering movies every week with the aforementioned Grace, Pusher Recaps Theater, and covering Six Feet Under, another show that I really love uh, with Dr. Amanda. We are almost about halfway with season two, speaking of halfway marks. So follow along with that if that interests you. That's it from us for this week. Like we said, we'll be back next week with part six. Uh, Until then, bye-bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.